This is Healthcare Strategies. Welcome to Healthcare Strategies. I'm Jill McKeon, Assistant Editor of Health IT Security. In October 2021, the U.S. Department of Justice launched the Civil Cyber Fraud Initiative with the intention of holding government contractors and grant recipients accountable for putting U.S. information at risk by knowingly employing insufficient cybersecurity measures or misrepresenting their cybersecurity practices. The initiative utilizes the False Claims Act to hold entities and individuals accountable for cybersecurity-related fraud. To discuss the Civil Cyber Fraud Initiative and its impact on healthcare, today we are speaking with Lisa Rivera, a member of the law firm Bass, Berry & Sims, and co-chair of the firm's Compliance and Government Investigations Practice Group. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me, Jill. So to set the stage, can you tell us a bit more about what the Civil Cyber Fraud Initiative is and what set of circumstances led to its founding? And most importantly, what are the systemic problems that it really aims to solve? Yes, as you mentioned, the bottom line for why they put this into place was that this is the DOJ's effort to more formally promote proactive steps in an effort to avoid cybersecurity concerns at the outset for those who do business with the government. You mentioned this was announced in October of 2021, but DOJ informed as early as February of 2021 that cybersecurity would be one of the six priorities for the DOJ civil division related to its False Claims Act enforcement. And then in October, the DOJ announced this new initiative under which it would pursue FCA liability against government contractors in the cybersecurity space. According to the announcement from the Deputy Attorney General, Lisa Monaco, the initiative seeks to hold accountable the entities and individuals who put U.S. information or systems at risk by knowingly providing deficient cybersecurity products or services, knowingly misrepresenting their cybersecurity protocols that they have in place, or knowingly violating obligations to monitor and report cybersecurity incidents and breaches. Really, the impetus was that more, this follows several significant cyber attacks nationwide. They're just only becoming more and more prevalent. We hear more warnings and notices about that all the time. We heard one from the FBI this week. Uh, this new initiative is just the formal step they're taking to combat those by focusing on the preventative cybersecurity efforts for government contractors and will bring a whole new enforcement dimension to cybersecurity practice because it will open up a spectrum of damages and penalties under the False Claims Act. DOJ is likely to initiate more False Claims Act lawsuits against government contractors that are failing to meet their cybersecurity obligations under whatever applicable law or contracts provide for. And of course, this is gonna encourage more whistleblowers to be aggressive and bring more cases under the False Claims Act in fact, I saw one whistleblower practice group has already pulled out a quote, call to arms for those who want to bring this kind of information forward. When one of the acting assistant attorney general for DOJ civil division, Brian Boynton, at a summit talked about this, he mentioned that he thought FCA enforcement could apply to at least the following three, what he called common cybersecurity failures. One was knowing failures to meet cybersecurity standards. Two was knowing misrepresentations of security controls and practices that were supposed to be in place. And three, failing to timely report suspected breaches, which he described as critical for government agencies 
to respond, remediate any vulnerabilities, and limit resulting harm. You know, historically, Jill, when a cyber event has been reported to the FBI, the DOJ saw, such as a healthcare provider, uh, experiencing the event as a victim. But this initiative and the information that we're seeing there and the cases we're going to discuss really put a healthcare provider at the intersection, both as a victim and a potential actor, or by failing to act at the same time, such as ransomware scenarios. And when should that have been reported? You know, as he mentioned in his speech, what is timely reporting of that instance? So I think it is going to open up a lot of whistleblower creative pursuit and also just DOJ exploration of this area. Definitely. That was a great overview. So as you know, the DOJ recently settled its first case under the Civil Cyber Fraud Initiative involving a healthcare company in which a whistleblower alleged that the company falsely represented to the State Department that it was in compliance with electronic medical record standards and also failed to disclose that certain substances provided to the State Department and Air Force were not actually approved by the FDA. So can you tell me a bit about the significance of that case and what it means for the civil cyber fraud initiative moving forward? Yeah, so this is a good case to discuss, even though other than it just being the first one that has now been discussed in the press by department, really it shows that it's just the beginning because of the nature of the case itself. I think it helps in understanding the significance to know a little bit about what you were already describing about the case. So the department settled with Comprehensive Health Services, or CHS, for $930,000. That's what was announced in the settlement agreement. So CHS was awarded a series of contracts, both with the State Department, and this is some contract with the Air Force, for hundreds of millions of dollars to provide medical support services overseas to Department of State and to DOD employees and patients. Pursuant to the terms of the written contract, CHS was obligated to provide a secure electronic medical system to store the patient records. The government alleged that CHS knowingly or recklessly submitted or caused claims to be submitted to the government under the agreements by, and it gave some examples in its release and in the covered conduct that's listed in the settlement agreement, failing to disclose that CHS was not compliant with the contract terms, which required it to store all medical records on a secure EMR that the DOJ had actually paid $485,000 for the EMR itself. Some of the government's payments included costs reimbursed to CHS for storing medical records on a secure EMR, that after scanning certain records, CHS staff left some of the records on an internal network drive, which did not have the same security and could be accessed by non-clinical staff. And even after some concerns were raised internally to CHS, the government thought that they didn't take adequate steps to, to store information exclusively on its EMR, even though it had been made aware of it. And there was another side provision there that said that once they started looking at this, they also found that CMS failed to comply with the controlled substances licensing provisions with FDA and the EMA requirements for medications submitted and pinged them for another 140000 So couple of things to note about the case. First of all, the single damage calculation was noticed in the settlement agreement as $474,000. Now, not that that's a small amount of money, but this was hundreds of millions of dollars in contracts with the government. So the system was quite broad. So 
they determined that the payments, it looks like anyway, it's not always described how they calculated the actual loss, but it looks like they were closer to, as a single damage calculation, closer to the amount that, that the Department of State had actually paid for the EMR system. But the significance here is that here's DOJ demonstrating and wanting to make a point that it's going to pursue exactly what it said that this initiative was designed to do. And it was focusing on the security of medical records maintained by those doing business with the government. So you see here, there was no resulting breach identified that related to the system or that type of conduct. Instead, it was a purely compliance-related failure from the government's perspective or one that the government described was inconsistent. <laughs> it wasn't consistently applied uh, across the board at all times. So that's unusual. And this, I think, is a message to whistleblowers because it's a very broad statement of lack of compliance that the government pursued and resolved. Also note here that this involved two separate whistleblowers that, were, that filed these cases. So I think the word is out and whistleblowers are certainly incentivized to focus on this issue and pursue it when security is simply lacking or inconsistent, as the government indicated here. Another consideration I'll just mention is that, you know, healthcare providers are so accustomed to investigations and compliance reviews. One of the types of issues that's always at the front of the stack would be, of a government lawyer, would be patient safety concerns, because that's an ongoing injury that the government wants to remedy immediately. This is similar in that way, even though it's, of course, not the same type of injury. But I think that this is something that providers need to be prepared for when these investigations happen. The government may very early on in an investigation insist upon a demonstration of compliance or that there are no security or access concerns related to an EMR system. And that could be through posing those questions to the provider to demonstrate or it could be through a civil investigative demand deposition or other document request for them to demonstrate that immediately. So that would be somewhat of a new focus as well. Definitely. And that case was definitely very telling for how those enforcement actions are going to go in the future. So going off of that, the False Claims Act aims to hold entities with federal funds accountable when they submit false claims to the government. It has a very broad reach and in the Civil Cyber Fraud Initiative, the False Claims Act is being used specifically in regard to cybersecurity. So can you tell me a bit more about what kind of entities the False Claims Act applies to, what it's typically used for, and how far it reaches? Yes. So the False Claims Act applies to those who submit or cause the submission of false claims to the government for payment. So it will apply to those that are in direct privity with the government, who do business directly with the government and who actually submit those claims, as well as those somewhat more ancillary that cause those individuals to submit claims to the government. In an unsealed KTM in the District of Vermont, the government announced its intent to partially intervene in a KTM case against a large electronic health records software company. We don't know yet how the government intends to specifically pursue that case. They have until May in which to file their complaint. But the allegations in the unsealed complaint by the relator allege that because of flaws in the EHR system in the software that was sold to healthcare entities, that the software company caused the healthcare entities to submit false claims for incentive payments paid by the government when the software did not allegedly anyway satisfy the criteria of the Meaningful Use Program and other requirements. 
So the False Claims Act is going to apply to anyone doing business with the government, as well as potentially to those who assist them in doing so. So vendors and others within supply chain and healthcare may be targeted in these cases, not necessarily for submitting claims themselves, but for actions perceived as causing false claims to be submitted to the government by others. And unlike a lot of compliance claims where there's some gray area on how certain procedures or coding works, or there's just so much regulation within the healthcare itself. But you think about an electronic health record system, if the very focus is on whether or not it's reliably secure, no one's going to dispute whether it should be or not. It's going to be more of a focus on what steps, whether taken themselves or caused by others, whether those steps were reasonable in ensuring that. Definitely. So can you tell me a bit more about the whistleblower provision of the act and whether the Civil Cyber Fraud Initiative will give whistleblowers more of an incentive to report wrongdoings and their role in that? Yes. So the False Claims Act statute has a provision that enables whistleblowers to file a case on behalf of the government under seal, hand that over to the government, and have the government review it. And the government has the option of pursuing it or declining to do so and allowing a relator or whistleblower to pursue it. And yes, this initiative is going to give whistleblowers more of an incentive for several reasons. So first, because this is an allegation that may rely solely on compliance failures as opposed to resulting from a specific event or a particular incident, it really provides a much perhaps easier access to a complaint under the False Claims Act. Remember, in any False Claims Act case, the government really doesn't have to be damaged in order for someone to assert a False Claims Act case. It expands the allegations more readily to ancillary service vendors and others providers working with healthcare companies who may not, you know, as I mentioned a while ago, bill the government directly for their services, but yet they're creating the tools that healthcare providers use in order to enable them to build a government for certain services. And, and so it's going to open up a larger spectrum, I think, for whistleblowers to pursue that lack of compliance across both providers and those who are just within the industry that assist providers in their work on a day to day basis. I think another reason more cases like this are going to arise is because this type of compliance is an ongoing compliance effort every day. The systems in hospitals will get pinged by outside actors thousands of times a day trying to find a way into their system. So something that is not just a meeting of compliance officers to fix a coding issue and then now it's fixing the system and everybody moves on. This is something that happens all the time and is a moving target. More and more external actors committing cybercrime are sophisticated and learning new ways to do so all the time. So there's a lot of opportunities, frankly, for even somebody making their best effort for opportunities for a lapse in the system somewhere or inconsistencies, such as what the government pointed out in the CHS case, that it wasn't consistently secure all the time. It's hard to know exactly where that line in the sand is from the government's perspective of when it would require action or when steps would be reasonable, even to that point, if they were taken by the provider. There just isn't unlimited money to prevent this all day, every day, no matter what, and use and purchase any resource. 
So I think different areas of the industry and providers have different vulnerabilities depending on the nature of their particular business. And so efforts are going to be made to continually prioritize the effort and find those vulnerabilities and take reasonable steps and those required by federal practice or by industry standards to make sure that they're being covered. DOJ, when they announced their initiative, they actually gave a shout out to whistleblowers in this area by saying whistleblowers with inside information have been critical to identifying and pursuing new and evolving fraud schemes that might otherwise remain undetected. They also bring considerable technical expertise to complex investigations. So whistleblower counsel are gonna become more well-versed in exploring these inadequacies within systems and meaningful use criteria. And whistleblowers want to know when they file a case that the government will be interested in that and pursue it. And so that has been given the green light, both in the initiative and this type of CHS settlement. Definitely. So it seems like whistleblowers will really play a very important role in, in this initiative moving forward. That's right. So pivoting to some larger trends, what does the founding of the Civil Cyber Fraud Initiative say about the government's increased focus on cybersecurity? I know you mentioned that the DOJ specifically pointed to that as a goal. And how might healthcare organizations be impacted by that in the future? Yes, I mean, PHI has always been important to be protected because of HIPAA requirements, HIPAA privacy and security requirements. But with the rise in cyber concerns and increase in data breaches, the expectations and the importance and priority around PHI and healthcare provider system security has increased exponentially. It's not a new issue. So the expectation, I think, is rather large on the part of the government for what healthcare providers should be doing to protect this information. Growth in electronic-only operations, government-paid financial incentives to have everything electronic and incentivize that movement with more secure sharing of information, mobility of devices that contain PHI and protected information. This is all an area right for False Claims Act expansion and focus by the government. It's no longer sufficient to think of the security of the network in a physical building, the way we really think about sort of the circle of protection. It's shared now by growth in larger health systems, services extended beyond a provider's location. Think about other measures the government has been pushing and that healthcare providers have been pursuing as well, such as population health. More and more sharing of patient information in order to better treat a patient. That's even shared among competitors. And so there's just a, just more and more layers of both sharing, extension, additional access to, to PHI that requires more and more protection all the time. So it's well beyond the HIPAA privacy radar, and it's just simply going to grow and increase because whistleblowers are going to bring it to their attention. And remember, data breach matters, and when there is an event, all have to be reported under certain circumstances, not only just to HHS OCR for healthcare, but also in many instances to state attorneys generals who are, who are very aggressive, as well as to those with data security concerns around impact to consumers and investors, other federal agencies. So it really is going to be an increased focus among numerous law enforcement agencies around data protections. Great. Yeah, it'll be definitely very interesting to see where this initiative goes in the future. Thank you for your insights and thank you, Lisa, for joining us. All right. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it.
And for our listeners, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. Feel free to reach out to me at jmckeon at extelligentmedia.com. That's J-M-C-K-E-O-N at extelligentmedia.com to share your thoughts or to suggest stories you would like us to consider covering in the future. And please head over to Apple Podcasts to give us five stars and a positive review if you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for listening. This has been an Extelligent Healthcare Media production.